let your servant depart in peace. O Master, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people. A light of revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of your people is Welcome to Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. My name is Father Yuri Hladio, and I'm an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey holds a doctorate in liturgical theology and is the co-director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto. Well, take out your Bibles, everyone. We're going to be doing a dive into the second chapter of Luke because we have arrived at the end part of Vespers where we sing or just plain read the Song of Simeon. Welcome, Father Jeffrey. Thank you. The Song of Simeon is a personal favorite. I I think a lot of people have it as a favorite because it's usually accompanied with beautiful composition, beautiful music, and it's also like the end and it has this nice bookmark feeling at the end. Um, But yeah, today we're going to be looking at particularly the text of the Song of Simeon. So for those keeping track at home, you can find the Song of Simeon in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 39, sorry, verses 29 to 32. Luke, chapter 2, verses 29 to 32. And uh, this, Father Jeffrey, would you give a quick um, context in the narrative of the Gospel of Luke? What is happening at the moment that this canticle or this ode or this song is being recited. Right. So, I mean, we're still in the early part of the Gospel of Luke, which has the most extensive, what you would call infancy narrative um, of all the Gospels. You get some in Matthew, but uh, Luke has, you know, the the kind of widest um, expansion really uh, of the story, including you know, initially the birth of John the Baptist, and then, of course, famously the Annunciation to the Virgin Mary, um, the birth then of uh, Jesus. We also have the um, circumcision and naming uh, of Jesus on his eighth day after his birth, according to uh, Jewish law. And then here in fulfillment of the law on the 40th day, the Lord is brought to the temple and presented uh, to the Lord, uh, along with an offering, which is, of course, all stipulated in in the Old Testament. And um, here we have uh, Joseph and Mary bringing baby Jesus to Jerusalem, into the temple, and he is greeted by this elder figure, Simeon, who is uh, awaiting 
the coming of the Lord. And uh, we have this beautiful encounter that we, of course, celebrate 40 days after the Nativity of Christ on the 2nd of February in the Feast of the Meeting of the Lord, which is also called um, the Presentation of the Blessed Virgin Mary or the Purification of the Blessed Virgin Mary in the Western Church. But it's this 40th day after the birth of Christ, this encounter in the temple and this elder figure, Simeon, who takes the Lord into his arms and then sings this beautiful canticle or hymn. Yes, and it's a moment of of dedication. And uh, I mean, maybe we'll just read through the hymn right now so people get a bit of context on it, though it will have been sung previously. Now let your servant depart in peace, O Master, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light of revelation for the Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. What does it mean, Father Jeffrey, in the biblical context, now let your servant depart in peace? Because this is Simeon singing, so I've heard a couple of different traditions about what this means, but I think the Gospel of Luke actually spells it out, doesn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, this is, um, you know, a figure who we don't know much about. I mean, there are legends and and stories that that accrue about him. But from what we know in the gospel narrative, we know he was righteous and and devout. But the telling phrase about him from the evangelist is that he was looking forward to the consolation of Israel. Um, He was looking forward to the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit had come upon him. And so he was in this sort of divine, you know, patience and place of waiting, of, of, of expectation, really. It's not like waiting at the doctor's office or, you know, just kind of idly passing his time, putting in time. He, he is actively expecting something. And it had been revealed to him, the gospel says, that by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see his death and before, before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So this is the consolation of Israel that he is expecting. The Messiah will come. And, you know, this was not a predefined, clear vision in, in the eyes of the people of Israel. They had messianic expectation, but it was not at all clear what that would look like, right? I mean, there, there was talk about, you know, David or a figure like David coming and ruling again from Jerusalem. There was talk about the temple, which had, you know, barely been reconstructed and barely, you know, pure, kept pure in, in the post-exile period that being purified and the Lord coming again to dwell in his temple. Of course, the famously the, the, the presence of the Lord, which had departed before the Babylonian exile, had never returned to that second temple. And so that was part of the messianic expectation. And that all of this would be done in the eyes of the world, in, in the, 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 all the nations would be able to bow down and recognize Israel's God as the true God, the God who would come as king, the God who would come with his presence and dwell with his people. This, you know, something loosely around these prophecies, around these ex- expectations, is what the consolation of Israel was all about. And so the Holy Spirit reveals to Simeon, that he will not die until he has seen the Lord's Messiah. Some of the legends, of course, are that Simeon was one of the translators of the Septuagint, of the the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek. Well, that would put him at several hundred years old by this point, right? And uh, so this was a long period of expectation indeed. In any case, the gospel hints at some sort of period of expectation and that these words, now uh, let your servant depart in peace, O master, means that some 
fulfillment has come to this. Now, we're very early days into the gospel here. This is 40 days after the birth of Christ. Not many people would be prepared to say the fulfillment of God's promises have unfolded. And yet the beautiful thing hinted at in this encounter is that indeed Simeon is able to perceive and sort of almost draw down on the future of you know what our lord is going to do in his anointed earthly ministry you know that we see unfold from a couple of chapters uh, forward in the gospel of luke right up to his trial his his passion his death his resurrection his ascension and then the sending of the holy spirit all of which would comprise the consolation of Israel, the fulfillment of those promises, our Lord seen as Yahweh visiting his people and becoming their king in the eyes of the world. This is what the gospel is all about. Well, Simeon here in this tiny baby being brought according to Jewish custom and Jewish law to the temple, like many other children, along with an offering, Simeon sees in this the fulfillment of what he was waiting for. So he waits decades you know, centuries maybe. And in this moment, it's this beautiful expression, now I can go in peace. Now I've seen the fulfillment of these promises, right? My eyes have seen your salvation. And uh, it, it is just a beautiful, poignant moment. And and just, uh, you know, to, to think of the entire Old Testament leading to this very moment, this with this Everything that's promised and expected is declared fulfilled by this elder figure who is righteous and devout and looking forward to the consolation of Israel. Yeah, in this passage, I feel that there are some undertones or maybe overtones of the future sacrifice as well, because in this canticle, he obviously talks about, for my eyes have seen your salvation, but he also says to Mary, the mother of of Jesus, a sword will pierce your heart also. Right, mm-hmm. that, that this this isn't the end of the story. There actually is more to this story, um, and and that there's the sense that Jesus is perhaps the sacrifice as well. Right, being brought to the temple and being offered there. Um, right. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure if I'm picking up on actual overtones or undertones, but uh, that's definitely <laughs> tones uh, for sure. Tones yeah. for sure. No, absolutely. I mean, he says to to the mother Mary, "This child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel." You know, so so this is a defining watershed moment. This is a crisis moment. You know, one of these, you know, nexuses of history. You know, uh, in which everything matters, and he will be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. This is an apocalyptic moment. It's a revelation. It's, a, it's an unveiling of truth. And a sword will pierce your own soul also. So the, that all of this, yeah, is wrapped up. And this, it's prophetic. It's, it's apocalyptic. It's, it's, it's the fulfillment of, of what, you know, Simeon has been waiting for. I mean, it, Luke does not, you know, hesitate to pull out all the stops here. You know, this resonates deeply with Old Testament prophetic tradition. Almost every word that Simeon speaks comes actually out of different parts of the prophecy of Isaiah, which as we know, you know, is often thought of as the kind of fifth gospel for for its beautiful prophetic imagery of this messianic figure, the suffering servant, the one who will come and who will, you know, bear the the, the sorrows and, and stripes and sins of of his people in order 
to bring them back from exile. It's the, you know, the, the Isaiah in, in, in all of its kind of movements is about coming from exile back to where God has intended, you know, human beings to be, which is in his presence and this kind of creation of this temple of heaven and earth joined together. And, uh, you know, so Simeon is picking up directly on the language, you know, of Isaiah. And it's, it's really powerful, actually. You know, the, um, you know, there's this one part um, in Isaiah, Isaiah uh, chapter 49, where um, remember Isaiah is, you know, writing at, at this point, you know, during the the exile. So the, the people of of Israel, the, what what little was left of them by the time of the Babylonian captivity, have been carried off to, to Babylon and are exiled, and the temple has been destroyed. Everything that they knew in terms of king and, and temple and land has been taken away from them. All the promises seem to have gone completely unfulfilled. And so Isaiah is called to prophesy to this people in, in exile and to bring them some, some measure of hope. And in, in, in chapter 49, the, the prophet is, is beginning to despair. You know, like, how, how can I actually do this? And the Lord assures him that he's been called before he was born from his mother's womb. He was named and, and given this, this duty, this, this, this responsibility to, to return the hearts and minds of the people to Zion back, you know, that he will deliver them again. But this is the beautiful part um, that the Lord says to Isaiah from his womb, for, for, from, from his mother's womb formed uh, as his servant to bring Jacob back to him, to bring Israel, to, to regather Israel, right? And then he says this, it's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to restore the survivors of Israel. That wouldn't be enough. You know, you're thinking of, of the, these exiled uh, people of Israel and, and maybe them going back, you know, to Jerusalem. And of course, we know only a small number will do at the time of the Persian liberation and, 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 and domination and so forth. The Babylonians put down some Israelites will go back. Well, that's what happens by the time of our Lord in the first century. Some have returned, but it's too light a thing. It's, it's not enough that he should simply be the prophet saying that Jacob, that Israel will be regathered and brought to Zion. I will give you, he says, a light as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And so this is what Isaiah is prophesying, not Israel only, but all the nations, all the Gentiles, all the people of the world will be restored to God's presence. And so this idea of the light to the Gentiles, the light to the nations is, is sounded there. And it's precisely this move from exile to restoration under the kingship of God in the temple of God with God's presence being fulfilled there. That's what's resonating through these words of Simeon who says, you know, of course, you know, you've the salvation you prepare before the face of all people, not just Israel, all people, a light of revelation for the Gentiles, the glory of your people, Israel. It's in and through Israel in and through the one who in his own life, Jesus will encapsulate and fulfill and, and, and take Israel to its full destiny of being the light to the world, right? Because Israel had failed in that. So Jesus comes as Israel to fulfill that. But in and through Israel, the whole world. That's why you know, this idea of the, the, the light of revelation for the Gentiles, the glory of Israel is that the 
through Israel, the whole world will be saved. And so that's what we get in Isaiah. That's what Simeon is quoting here by in this compressed hymn or canticle. And that's what we sing at every Vespers when, when we celebrate this song of Simeon in this encounter. The podcast you're listening to reflects only the public half of the overall project of enacting the kingdom. Father Jeffrey and I actively post new episodes on our completely separate private podcast. This private space gives us the freedom to debate and discuss open and sometimes controversial questions regarding the Orthodox faith amongst a smaller and more dedicated audience. If you become a patron now, you'll get immediate access to our growing backlog of private episodes, including a discussion on the ordination of women and the coronavirus multiple spoon controversy. To get access to this private podcast, go to pryingpriest.com. Looking forward to having you join our growing community on Patreon. Now back to the show. Yeah, it's my understanding, and maybe we could speak a bit more to this right now, that, you know, the, the a better way to understand the story of the scriptures is that it's not that God somehow had chosen the Hebrew people, had chosen Israel, and then they ended up not accepting Jesus, so God abandons the people of Israel and joins himself to all of the other Gentiles, right? Um, that it's it's not that. That is a... That is a misreading of how the new testament presents what god has how god has acted in our world that maybe a, a perhaps a more faithful way of understanding what god has done is that god has indeed inaugurated jesus christ as the king of israel and it's not only this sort of earthly israel it's the final eschatological israel which is the gathering of all the nations so it's israel and it's the combination of israel god's chosen people and all of the other nations who have now been adopted into that family of Israel. Exactly. I mean, it, it's not just that that's a better way of understanding it. That's really the only scriptural way of doing it. It's what's consistent from old covenant to new covenant. It's what the gospel writers are talking about. It's what St. Paul is talking about. It's a later idea that you get this kind of replacement you know, theology when to speak of the church as the new Israel, meaning the old Israel has been abandoned somehow, as you suggested, and, and that the new Israel is the kind of plan B or, or whatever. Well, no, new Israel simply means renewed Israel, Israel fulfilled, which of course is Jesus Christ. You know, the Messiah, the one, the anointed one who comes to do this, to, to be Yahweh visiting his people and reigning over his people and being the presence of, uh, of God in the, the covenant community, pr primarily in the temple, which of course becomes the body of Christ himself as the new temple and so forth. So all of that renewed Israel includes everything that old Israel was expecting and, and looking for. This consolation of Israel is the renewed Israel. And so it's not a rejection and then a second choice. It's not a replacement in any way. It is this grafting in that St. Paul talks about of, of all the nations into that vine that our Lord has planted in his vineyard. And that vine had, had gone wild. That vine had, 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 you know, had, had even gone into exile, which is the tra great tragedy of the Old Testament, right? That, and, and at the time of our Lord, I, I, I hasten to, to, 
to say again. I mean, that exile had not really ended. We talk about post-exile, but really there was no post-exile. Not all returned, and those who returned were under foreign domination and oppression. The temple was never perfect. There were kind of sporadic moments of purification, uh, you know, under the Maccabees, you know, famously. And then here we have to say is another kind of moment of the purification of the temple in a way, because our Lord himself comes for the first time into that temple. And it's not, it's a temple where the Lord's presence had never really been spoken of. Well, here the Lord is present in this baby, right? So there is this kind of return, but that ultimately the temple that will matter is this temple will be torn down, this physical temple, and will be raised to the ground by the Romans in AD 70. But the temple of our Lord's body you know, this fall and rise that, that St. Simeon, you know, talks about is ultimately the, the Lord himself falls and rises for all. And that temple is destroyed and rebuilt in three days in the resurrection of Christ and into that body, all old and new, um, you know, Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile are, are brought into one people of God. And that was, of course, precisely what was prophesied in the Old Testament. This is not Christians inventing a new strategy for God, right? That, oh, well, you know, God's now interested in more than just uh, the people of Israel. Well, if you go back, you read, you know, carefully the the Old Testament. And what I was just quoting to you from Isaiah 49, the Lord said, it would be too little for me and for, for you, Isaiah, to be simply prophesying for Israel's return. I'm, I've got a bigger plan here. My plan is to bring all the nations of the world into this. So all along and right back to Abraham and the promise, you know, what was Abraham to be? It was going to be through him and through his family, that is to say Israel, that the whole world would be saved. All nations would be blessed, our Lord says. So this is a consistent theme through the scriptures and, and, and to, to kind of you know, cast that aside and to, to kind of go with this, um, almost dispensational or, you know, uh, idea of there was one plan and now that plan has been replaced by a new dispensation, a new, uh, a new plan that's for the Gentiles rather than for Israel is to miss entirely the consistency of God's work. Uh, in salvation, in history, from the from the very beginning, from the first call of Abraham to this moment where Jesus comes into the temple in the arms of his parents and is handed to Simeon, there is one story that God wants us to know. That is that all nations will be blessed through this family of Israel. I have a bit of a orthodox horror story for you, Father Jeffrey. Oh dear. Um, I uh, I've I've heard once that uh, there was a, a Ukrainian church that would sing this at Vespers, but they would sing it uh, in with this rendition, a light of revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Ukraine. Oh dear. And, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, you know, what, what, after what you just said, you want to be like, no, 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 Ukraine, like you're already in the, you're already in the song. Like yeah. no matter what country you're talking about, Ukraine, Japan, Uganda, like all of these countries are subsumed under that category of Gentiles. Yeah, we forget, of course, the word Gentile in English here, the, right. behind this is is the Greek word, which is variously translated, right, as peoples, nations, 
Gentiles, right? So when you get that word in our liturgy and in the scriptures, nations, you should know that behind that is the same word that is used and rendered as Gentiles, you know, sometimes. In fact, this is the curious thing. In the Hebrew, um, the word the word that, that, that's there, the goyim and goy and so forth, is actually used of Israel more often than it's used of the other nations, because it just simply means nation. And so it, it, you have to be very careful when you're kind of looking at the context to understand you know, which nation is being referred to. And, and as I say, in the Old Testament, um, goyim and goy is applied more to Israel than it is to the other nations. So, uh, so yeah, it is all encompassing. And it, it is God's plan that in and through this one nation, all nations will be blessed. So yeah, you're already, you know, there. But the other sad thing about, you know, people who, who do this, and it's not just Ukraine, you know, you get the kind of notion that the Greeks have that they replaced Israel. And then Russians, of course, think that they replaced both Greeks and, you know, Israel and so forth. And it is a very, very common thing in, in human history to kind of elevate, you know, one's own nation into somehow God's favored status. You know, the, I think there's a the, the behind manifest destiny of the United States of America lies a kind of chosen people, um, complex as it were. Um, and what all of these things kind of fail to understand is that there is no salvation without Israel. That is the, the most tragic aspect of the horrible and racist and hatred, you know, that is anti-Semitism. To be anti-Semitic is to oppose not only a particular people, but it's to oppose the God of that people Yahweh, who is the, the one true God of all the world, and therefore to oppose our own salvation, right? There is no salvation that is not salvation in and through Israel. Um, it was curious this past um, year when we were celebrating the Feast of the Meeting of the Lord, and of course reading this, and then the first Sunday after the, the meeting, the gospel reading of the Sunday happened to be the the story of the Canaanite woman, right? I mean, this is the, the time... Um, in the uh, get in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, that um, our Lord wants some sort of reprieve from the crowd, so he actually heads to the coast, to Tyre and Sidon, and you know, away from Galilee, away from from all of these hordes of people seeking healing and so forth, just wants a little bit of respite. But of course, the first thing that happens, he gets accosted by this woman who wants um, you know healing for for her daughter, and she's chasing after him and and calling him son of David, interestingly. So giving him a title that not many, you know, in the Galilee or Judea had given to him yet. And, you know, the disciples saying, you know, Lord, send her away. She's annoying us, right? And and so finally he turns to her and there's this really kind of weird encounter in a way where, you know, she's asking him as as a Jew for for a favor. And he says, you know, basically, you know, what what have I got to do with you? You're, you know, you're you're, you're a Gentile. You're, you know, I'm I'm here for the salvation, you know, of, of Israel. And and she accepts this status. She says, you know, you know, uh, we are like the the dogs under the table, you know, that are just kind of picking up the scraps that are falling from the table. So in other words, Israel is at the table of God. From that table fall down these scraps and the Gentiles, the nations are these, these dogs. And of course, this, this is not good, you know, imagery. This is quite offensive and, and so forth. But what is true in that, which is the same expression we get in the Song of Simeon, is that salvation is in and through Israel. You know, ultimately those dogs are lifted up 
and are given a place at the table. And of course, this is, you know, throughout the Gospel of Luke, this is one of the dominant images that you get over and over again. Who is able to have table fellowship with the Lord? Who's able to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom? It, it, several times, you know, the Pharisees and scribes are, are wondering, what, what what's our Lord doing with tax collectors and prostitutes and and others? Surely he knows those are not to be at table with him. And yet he brings them to table with him and the Gentiles too, after all. And so this idea of, you know, this who is going to sit down and eat with the Lord in the kingdom is, is a kind of dominant, you know, theme here. Well, Simeon is saying it, the woman of the Canaanite woman who is asking for simply the table scraps of Israel to be falling down to the nations beneath the table is saying the same thing, that the salvation of the world depends entirely on the God of Israel and comes through the people of Israel to whom we are grafted. And that really has to be kept in mind. It's the promise made to Abraham. It's the promises of the prophets. It's the, it's the, you know, fulfillment of of what we see in the gospels. And um, Simeon's hymn here is, is so central to all of that. We would be remiss if we didn't talk about the imagery of light in this song, um, given especially that this is, at the uh, end of Vespers. And I've been in churches, Father Jeffrey, where at the singing of the Song of Simeon is when you actually turn the lights off again that were turned on for some Light. Um, I'm sure that that's not a ubiquitous practice, but um, it, it, really, it really lends itself nicely to kind of a, a completion of a service. And um, yeah, so the, the, the lines here in the song that talk about light um, would be, you know, for my eyes have seen your salvation, right? Having that imagery of being able to see, which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. So this imagery of light is coming back again here in uh, at the end of Espers. Well, yeah. And just the imagery of seeing too, right? It requires light. Um, so right. my eyes have seen your salvation and that salvation is a light. It's a light of revelation. It's, it's an apocalypse. It's a, it's an unveiling. And, uh, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it does play into that whole overall, you know, structure of Vespers and everything. We'll have more to say about it when we talk about the kind of narrative trajectory, you know, of the service and how this encapsulates it. But, but absolutely in terms of the biblical context here, um, God's, revelation and glory is always kind of depicted as this kind of light. And here now, you know, the light that we sang of in the, you know, Fossilaron, the gladsome light, that the light that came, even as the rays of the physical light were disappearing, that true light, that is the light that we're going to have to carry forward, you know, into the world. Because of course, this is the, you know, like Simeon, we're taking our leave, right? This is the end of the service. And so we're going to depart in peace. But in what way are we going to go out into the world? We're going to go out mindful of everything we've just said about God's fulfilled promises in Israel, those promises which are made as a light to all of the world. What a marvelous way to to accept you know, what it is we've done as being of such tremendous importance, not only for us in our spiritual life, however we define that in a kind of personal level, but this is about the whole world. Are we going to go out now into the world like Simeon does, content 
that that light has has shined and that we are going to carry it with us to every end of the world because that's what Isaiah was charged to do to carry that promise that prophecy to the end of the world to to assure all nations that they are blessed in and through the light of Israel You've just finished listening to another public episode of Enacting the Kingdom If you're getting value from this podcast and you'd like to support the show you can head over to pryingpriest.com to become a patron Also, five-star ratings with written reviews go a long way to getting the word out there about this show. Also, since Enacting the Kingdom is social media free, any word-of-mouth recommendations you can make to your friends and family would be greatly appreciated. We'll see you next time.